This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Today, I've got back on this episode a good friend of mine who I've been communicating with over the past few years inside Rheumatoid Support. His name is Gabe. He was on our show back in May 2019 talking about the improvements that he's made with sciatic arthritis. And since then, he has continued to experiment with some variations and modifications in his approach. And he has provided several updates over the past month or so inside rheumatoid support, telling us what he's been doing that has been working. And so Gabe has agreed to come back on the show and to talk about what's working for his sciatic arthritis since we last spoke. So I hope that today is really valuable and you can get lots of little tips and modifications yourself so that you can continue to work on your health. So welcome, Gabe. Thanks very much, Clint. I'm very glad to be here. We've enjoyed a long chat before we hit record on this episode <laughs> because we really do get along well and uh, I, I really do enjoy listening to your life and and the choices you've made, both personal and with your health and so on. And so, you know, I consider this a, a really enjoyable opportunity for me to connect with you. It's like just speaking with a friend. So again, thanks for coming on. Likewise. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to be here and and also to be of service to anybody who might find this information valuable too. Yeah, well, let's do it. Let's talk about sciatic okay. arthritis. So uh, give us the little recap. Uh, you know, nearly two years ago, um, we, we had you on here. You shifted to Patterson program. That's plant-based eating, lots of exercise. You were overcoming several things with your health. But tell us, uh, tell us again a, a little uh, recap where we were two years ago, how far you'd come before we then talk about what you've done since. Sure, sure. So uh, I found the Patterson program on Christmas Eve of 2018, which really was a great gift. And at that point, my knee, my left knee had been swollen with, um, with a lot of fluid for eight months. And I had had psoriasis for four or five years and a lot of other strange symptoms uh, for many years prior to that. So uh, migraines, uh, that would leave my hands numb and also a lot of fatigue and a lot of GI issues. And so when I found the Patterson program, I had been contemplating going on to methotrexate. And fortunately, I jumped on to the Patterson program before uh, trying methotrexate and it worked for me. Um, I, I was just on the, just on the edge of taking that. Um, within Within really the first couple of days of starting uh, your program, I knew that it was working, and and just just in terms of my energy levels. So that I had a two week break during that Christmas uh, period from school. I'm still a student, um, so that two week break was great because I was doing all sorts of strange stuff in the kitchen, <laughs> making a lot of rice, and and it was working. Um, it still took it still took three months for the swelling to go down. But I, I never had to go on to methotrexate, and eventually the swelling subsided. My energy came up, and um, my psoriasis still lingered for for a while. And it really wasn't until I started getting into uh, some of the more complex probiotics that the psoriasis went away. And so I had um, very significant psoriasis on my eyebrows, my ears, and large flakes falling off, and my scalp also. So once I started to add some of the more co complex probiotics, uh, in particular for me, water kefir, <laughs> that really helped. Uh, things started to go down. Now, uh, that was that was the first year of the Patterson program. As I got into the second winter, um, my left knee started swelling again, and I had attributed this to a slight slight amount of oil that I had ingested. And, you know, like a very, very minor amount um, with some garlic salt that I'd been trying. 
uh, and also just the stress of winter and maybe a lack of diversity in my diet. During the winter break, I kind of got lazy and wasn't cooking as much diversity and still getting my greens in, but eating the same thing. And, and also I introduced nuts at that point. So in any case, the point is that, that basically a year after having great success with, with your program, uh, my swelling came back, not nearly to the same extent, but, um, but enough to, to stop me from playing basketball, um, which is, which was what I cared about at the time. So it was at that time that I joined your forum. That would have been maybe the January or February of 2020, maybe. And you suggested right away, you suggested to me to try an earthing mat. And I, I got an earthing mat. I thought it was kind of crazy. I thought, man, I'm going to electrocute myself. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. But I read the science. I read some of the PubMed review articles. And uh, the earthing mat really helped. And so that's kind of what got me um, being a member of your forum and got me doing some of the more um, the work that we're here to discuss, which is after having success, how do you maintain that success and how do you how do you deal with the occasional setback and and, and various things like that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Already touched upon some really, really juicy topics here. So we've talked things that I've written down in addition to our notes before we started. Uh, we've got the earthing mat, numb hands I wanted to mention as well. Uh, that hasn't come up. And the water kefir for psoriasis. So we've got lots of directions here before we even get onto the list of things that we have uh, ready for our audience here that, that they can benefit from. Let's, let's, let's um, uh, in no particular order of priority, but we'll speak shortly about the earth for, sh- in a sh- for a short period about the earthing mat. I'll do another episode about this and show the science so that we don't just sort of brush over it too shallowly because this needs more attention. Um, but in short, uh, the concept of earthing was originally uh, brought to my attention by um, a different podcast, actually. It was uh, a, a podcast that I no longer listen to for various reasons, so I won't mention, but they had a great guest on there, Clint Uber, who wrote the book you know, about earthing. I bought the book, read the book. Um, and it's, you know, it's fascinating, basically the concept being that we develop electrostatic charge due to interactions with carpet and wearing flip-flops and, uh, and um, you know, rubber-soled shoes. And that by using these artificial lifestyle, you know, uh, accessories and so forth, uh, we develop this small but, but can be significant electrostatic charge. And that just by connecting with the earth, by sitting or walking and just standing barefoot, on the earth then dissolves that charge and that uh, that practice that humans have done for you know the beginning of humanity which is walking around on the earth uh, has been lost since the particularly the introduction of of rubber soled shoes and so as you said there's science supporting health benefits of going barefoot and um, and and that we can artificially create that uh, earthing experience by putting, say, a, a mat down on a bed or uh, putting a mat down under your feet at your desk or to sit on on your chair. If you can't, for example, where you are now, where it's snowing, get outside and connect with the earth in, in a more of a conventional way. So I'm glad that that really helped. And that was delightful for me because I went through a period, <laughs> you know, I go through phases where I recommend things heavily because I'm doing it or I've just read the science and I'm passionate about it. And then time passes and then I recommend something else, which we're about to talk about in a minute, the sprouting, right? So yeah, we'll talk sure. about it. Yeah. So let's close out the earthing, Matt, knowing that I'm going to do more about that in a future episode. Sure, sure. By saying that it really helped you, right? To get rid of some it really, It really helped. And my understanding is basically that it's a, it's a low risk, really high reward thing. And, and actually... <laughs> Another angle on it is that of all the things that we do on your program, it's actually one of the easiest things that there is. I, I plug in a mat to the wall and I sleep with that, I, you know, touching my skin every night. Yeah. And that just helps tremendously. And I can tell, I can tell when I don't do it for a day or two. And so I, I thought, okay, well, 30 bucks for one of these mats, I got to try this. And I'm very thankful that it works so well. Yeah. Yeah, great. And and 
you say that if you don't do it for a few days, you start to notice. So what's your sign that you haven't done it? Um, the, well, the first thing I notice is just how well I sleep or, or yeah. don't sleep. Um, yeah. So since I sleep with it, sleep is a big thing for me. I probably average just by earthing alone. I think I, I average 15, to, 15 minutes to 30 minutes more sleep a night. Mm. Um, yeah. If I were you know, keeping track of better track of that, I'd have a more precise number, but that's yeah. kind of my sense. Yeah. The second thing I would say is simply uh, there's kind of a sense of calm in my body. Um, mm -hmm. It's just this sort of sense of things are kind of quiet. And, okay. yeah. you know, I don't know if it's inflammation exactly being calmed down. It's probably a combination of some other things, but it's really just this kind of peacefulness and ability to withstand. And then the final thing I'd mention is my ability to withstand stressors is, is greater. So phys physical stressors, uh, psychological stressors, um, I noticed that, that it, the mad dampens those experiences a bit for me. That sounds like some extravagant claims, uh, <laughs> but it really, it really is one of the most helpful things that I do. Yeah. I, and, you know, I'm often reluctant to, to go too far down these discussions without, you know, supportive evidence. And, and so I think that... Uh, this is one of those rare instances where you know what it, it does deserve. It does deserve us to spend some minutes talking about this because uh, whilst we're not discussing the science right now, there is science about this. And if you just feel better from doing it, then something's going on. And it's undeniable in your case. You saw you saw a specific point in time when you felt better from doing it. So that's one thing, which is great. The earthing mat. So we like that. And then you mentioned the water key for psoriasis. Why don't, is there, can we stay on track for a moment with, sure. with the inflammation in the joints? Are there other things we want to go to those first before we get to water kefir or does that overlap? In terms of uh, helping with the swelling in the joints? Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I would mention too that, that I didn't put in the notes, but for those folks who have psoriatic arthritis in particular, one thing that's really helpful uh, as an exercise to keep in mind are eccentric exercises. So one of the things that I've noticed in my time with this arthritis and even predating it a bit is that I have a tendency to get these kind of tendon injuries. So in conventional medicine, we would refer to these as tendonitis and think, oh, that's no big deal. Uh, you know, just take some ibuprofen, it will heal up in a couple of days. But, but what I've noticed is that I, <laughs> when my inflammation is high, I get a lot of these tendon issues and seemingly more so than most people, but that's anecdotal. I haven't studied it, but in any case, one of the things that I dealt with uh, last summer or two summers ago, actually, was I had a little bit of uh, tendon tendonitis in both my Achilles tendons. So one of the things that I did that was extremely helpful in healing from, from that issue is something called eccentric heel drops. And mm -hmm. so an eccentric heel drop is, I can demonstrate with my hand. Yeah. Okay. So if you have, if you, if you're, imagine you're standing with your feet, your toes, your toes here on the book, what you do is, so you have your two feet here with both feet, you go up and then say that your right, your right heel is the one you want to fix. You lift your left leg up and you slowly lower down just a little bit below parallel. And while you're doing that, you want to kind of stretch the, you want to stretch the Achilles. And so it will hurt just a slight bit, but the pain there, what, what's going on is that you're lengthening, you're lengthening the tendon. And as you're lengthening it, you're allowing it to heal in a way where it doesn't, where it doesn't shorten up. So you're mm -hmm. allowing it to lengthen at its full length and heal at its full length. And you're also stimulating you're stimulating the healing process. And so for a lot of these tendon issues that I've had, these eccentric exercises were extremely helpful. And I, I had one in my forearm, my, my Achilles. Um, so you just find a way to do the eccentric work and it can be really helpful. So that may be something too, that would be a nice uh, nugget for somebody with psoriatic arthritis. Absolutely. So eccentric meaning uh, the reverse of a contraction, correct? It's the, yeah, mm -hmm. it's the reverse mm -hmm. muscle direction that it's, that it's sort of 
com- conventionally thought of. So a, like an eccentric is like relaxing the weight under tension. Ex- yeah? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's the opposite yeah. of what we tend to think is the hard work. Yeah, when exactly, you're doing that bicep crawl, you're thinking, oh, yeah. it's the it's the let the letting down piece. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so in simple terms, it's like doing a calf raise, but in the reverse direction and then going slightly below horizontal to get a stretch at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Great tip. And so for tendonitis, you found these eccentric exercises to be helpful for your elbow and also the Achilles. Yes, and and the reason I I mentioned that in particular for psoriatic is that um, my understanding of, of psoriatic, or at least my experience of it, is that it's a kind of arthritis that tends to attack the tendons, and uh, so it's it's fortunately you know I'm not losing cartilage and and bone tissue in the way that somebody with RA uh, is. For whatever reason, my arthritis attacks the the tendons, the soft tissue. Mm-hmm. And so these eccentric exercises, um, along with uh, basic strength training in the gym, I find to be pretty helpful. Okay, beautiful. All right. Well, we've um, uh, got two fabulous suggestions there. Let's talk about potentially. What about we move on to uh, the sprouting? How about you want to speak? Oh, of I'm I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> okay, so I I brought some of my my sprouts out here. Yeah, look at um, that. If you're not watching this and you're listening to this, uh, find this same point on the <laughs> recording on YouTube because Gabe has produced the most epic bowl of homegrown sprouts. Yeah, look so these that. these are uh, this is uh, fenugreek. Uh, fenugreek. Yeah, and uh, yeah, basically, I got a book by a guy named um, well, I can't remember his name. Uh, I can send you the you. I can send you yeah, the link, yeah. and you can, can link to it. it. But yeah. in any case, he um, he has this method whereby he grows sprouts enough sprouts for you know a little green salad every day of sprouts. And he started doing this in the winters. He lives in Vermont. He started doing this with his family just as a way to have green stuff, and also just it's fun because it turns over so quickly. So. Mm. In about seven to ten days, you can have you can have a bowl like this, which is just about ready to harvest. One of the things that you'll see—I don't know if this is picking it up in the camera exactly—but yeah, I see it well. Some of these still have the seeds, kind of the mm. seed shell, on them, and as they as they grow and as the the two green leaves start to split, that shell will come off. So it saves you some of the work of picking those off. But in any case, in seven to ten days, you have these. You know, you have these nice green sprouts. And the best part is that you don't need uh, special sunlight. You don't need special lamps or anything like that. I'm in the middle of winter in northern Indiana. (laughs) We have a foot and a half snow on the ground. And uh, I'm growing these in my room. The the basic process is that uh, you get a little bit of kind of a uh, seed starting germination mix. So I have a big big tub of this soil in my just behind my couch. And then you get a little bit of compost and you get a little bit of fertilizer. I use kind of like a sea kelp type fertilizer. Yeah. And what you do is you soak the seeds overnight. You get the the soil a bit moist. And I use a bowl. He recommends using a, an aluminum pan, but you can use whatever you want. And you put a little bit of the soil in uh, on top of the compost and the, the fertilizer. And then you you take the soaked seeds and you just lay them over the top. Then you take some newspaper, you soak the newspaper and put that over the top of the seeds, and then you keep them in a dark place for, for four days. And what's kind of interesting about seeds is that during those first four days, they don't need the sun to grow because they all the energy is stored up in the seed. And so what will happen is that you'll after you pull it out after a couple of days from the dark place, the uh, you can imagine newspaper sitting on top of this. The newspaper will kind of fall off to the side as the seeds just sprout up, push it off, and then you know the seeds are ready to to get some some sun. And when they get in the sun, that's when they turn green. You know, we all know from our basic uh, basic science that's when the chlorophyll comes in. Wow. And so usually what I do is I let them green for a couple of days. 
before they start to get bitter, they usually get bitter when the the little leaves give way to bigger leaves. So that's the point that you want to snip them. (laughs) So I take some, some scissors and I just, I just kind of pull them up by the roots a little bit, pull them up like this and just snip it and and throw up my green salad, uh, green smoothie. So that's how that works. Put them in smoothies, do you? Yeah. I usually do just, I find some of them to be a bit, uh, like some of the radishes and so on (laughs) by themselves. I find them a bit tough to get down. So mix it in with some, some banana and, you know, it makes it a little easier. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But well, well, that's certainly impressive. We buy the sprouts and I have not yet moved across to the advanced approach, which is growing them at home. Let's now answer the question that's burning in people's minds. Why would you do that? Why would we be wanting to go to such lengths to create sprouts? So um, as you mentioned in a lot of your work, sprouts have all sorts of good stuff in them. So they have, um, in particular, digestive enzymes. They also have a lot of good uh, micronutrients, um, just really jam-packed at very high concentrations in them. And so it's a really great way to get a lot of good nutrients in, a lot of bang for your buck uh, in that way. Moreover, uh, sprouting makes things easier to digest. Mm-hmm. And so, so for example, uh, the soaked almonds that you recommend in your program, that's kind of the start of a sprout. Uh, it's yep. kind of the same concept. So when you sprout something, when you have a seed, say a flax seed, this is something I, I'm getting, I haven't got the flax seeds yet, but uh, flax seeds have a lot of good things in them. By themselves, they can be a little hard to digest because the, the shell of the seed has, I don't know if this is the right word exactly, but anti-nutrients in it. Right. It has yeah, a coating yeah. that makes it hard to digest. Mm-hmm. And um, when you sprout, what you're doing is you're, you're telling the seed, okay, it's time to grow. You can get rid of that protective shell um, that's meant to protect against insects and also meant to protect against uh, animals eating it or the digestive tract. So if an animal eats it, mm-hmm. hopefully that shell protects it enough that when it comes out the other end, it will still grow. Hopefully, you know, in any case, once you, once you kind of coax the plant out of its shell, then you get all those nutrients that the seeds have, but in a form that's, that's great, easier to digest. So that's, that's one of the benefits of sprouts, uh, along with you know, all sorts of other things. Yeah, well explained. I think that they are absolutely sensational for health and digestion and longevity and so on. And I have been eating mung bean sprouts, right? You know, the, the white ones that you see on Asian salads often with most of my meals for the last month or so. And I've just done it because I just want to see how much better I digest, whether or not it affects like the odor of my gas and so on. <laughs> um, and the sort of bowel movements that I get, you know, all these sort of like beautiful oh, yeah. experiments. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I can say for the most part, that it gets a tick, but the non-quantitative thing that I've experienced the most is just more vibrancy. I just feel happier. I just, just a feeling of well-being that you can't really describe in other terms. You just feel healthier for doing it. It's a weird thing. I feel happy eating these sprouts all the time, and therefore I do it. I digest well. You know, it makes me feel good. Yeah, I, I wish that I had paid a little more attention. When I introduced sprouts, I was also introducing some other things and I just, yeah. I just knew they were so good for me and, and uh, easier to digest and all that. So I, I can't say that I've noticed like too much, but I was in a pretty good place when I introduced them. So that's yeah. one thing. Yeah. But I, I would say that on two fronts, one of the other experiments I've done with sprouts is uh, tried sprouted flowers for various okay. things. Yeah. Now, Definitely more of an advanced thing. <laughs> uh, I would I would think you know based on the kind of the reintroduction sequence, but the basic idea would be that a flower that comes from a sprouted plant, say uh, sprouted weed or something like that, you're getting you're you're taking away those anti nutrients and then you're also getting some some of the better nutrients and just the easier to digest kind of flower. So that mm. you know might be an experiment worth having <laughs> uh, yeah. for somebody who's interested in it. But one of the other benefits of growing sprouts this way is uh, it's just nice having something green in the in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for, especially for me in the middle of winter here, uh, it's nice to actually feel some connection with nature. 
mm-hmm. that it's not, you know, freezing cold out in the snow and actually makes me feel like I'm a little bit of a gardener. You know, I, I, I take care of my little plants each day. It, it only takes about five to 10 minutes to do it all. And once you get it, yeah. once you get the setup and the routine down, yeah. Now there are a lot of other ways to grow sprouts. The method you'll see most commonly is uh, somebody will take a jar with kind of a mesh lid, and you, you take the you take the seeds, you soak them, and you flip them, and let them dry out. Uh, I tried that method um, with a cloth bag, kind of a similar concept, or a, a hemp bag. And what I found was that it was difficult for me to get the seeds to grow in the first place because. And it could never figure out the right level of hydration. And they need to be pretty moist for them to grow. And where I live now in the wintertime here, it's very dry. The second thing that, one of the reasons I chose this particular method was that it, uh, you're not as concerned about getting uh, fungus growing on yeah. the sprouts themselves. So, and that, the reason for that is that the kind of germination mix, it, it's well ventilated. So, and also the the particular kind that I get has some bacteria in there that are kind of antifungal. And so you get this kind of nice benefit of not having to worry as much. And it's also easier when you grow it this way and you have the jar, you have to flip that three or four times a day with this five minutes, you know, set it and forget it. Four days later, I come back and put it on the windowsill. Ain't nobody Um, got time for flipping. (laughs) No, no, not with my busy schedule, at least. Yeah. So, yeah, plus the final thing I'd mention is that the root systems to these are pretty neat. And what they do is these will actually go down basically to the bottom of the bowl. And that's where the compost and the compost and the fertilizer are. And so you're also picking up some of the nutrients from that too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just kind of neat. It's a neat, it's a neat thing. Yeah. 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 Love it. Okay. Awesome. Well, that is a, uh, a lesson on sprouts that we haven't had before on the show. Uh, so thank you very much for that. And you're uh, welcome. You're welcome. We, we're all now going to go and follow your technique. Now let's move on to the next tip that you have for us. The vitamin D it's been a big one, hasn't it? You've mentioned this several times to me offline. Yes. Um, let's talk about vitamin D and how that's helped you and, you know, just your current regimen. Sure. So, um, Following on the forum, I was listening to the various uh, the various folks talk about vitamin D, um, and and also the high dosage vitamin D uh, stuff. And so I started doing my own research, and thought, well, at the at the very least, I need to go get tested, and uh, to know what my starting point is. When I got tested, I was at twenty three nanograms per milliliter, which is low. So in the United States, uh, the measurement that we use is nanogram per milliliter. I think that if you want the nanomoles, you basically just multiply by two or two and a half. So it's 56 N mole, I think, you multiply by two. In any case, the point is it was low. In the US, the the recommendation, at least on the blood test that I got, I think this comes from the Institute of Medicine and, and a Harvard researcher, is that at the bare minimum, you want 30 nanograms per milliliter to avoid things like rickets. Now, some of the high dosage stuff that I've been researching and, and learning about, and I actually just even uh, Dr. Michael Greger on Nutrition Facts, he goes through some studies where he looks at optimal dosages, optimal levels of vitamin D. And what Dr. Greger says is that if you were to take somebody in the wild, so to speak, you know, if you were just to test somebody um, say in a place that's near the equator uh, in Africa, um, I think that he said that they would be at something like 115 nanomole per, per per milliliter. So something like 50, 50 to 60 nanograms per milliliter. Now that's somebody in the in the middle of the average, in the middle of the distribution. Yeah. So you'll likely have people just kind of who spend a lot of time in the sun near the equator, quite a bit above that, and that raises another question, which is, well, what is the, well, first two questions, is there a benefit to having a higher level of blood concentration of vitamin D? And Dr. Greger goes through in a video and he explains that to a large degree, it's better to have more vitamin D. (laughs) 
uh, especially for people who have autoimmune disorders, who tend to be low on vitamin D to begin with. So anyways, taking all this into account, I thought to myself, well, the toxicity of vitamin D is it, it's pretty safe. And even the Institute of Medicine, uh, which is on the more conservative side, says you can do 10,000 IU a day. I found a paper online, calculated how much I would need to take to get my blood level up to be the higher range of uh, what I just said a minute ago, hoping to be up to close to, say, 80 to 100 nanogram per milliliter, which, is, which sounds pretty high, but it's you know, not, not in the toxic range yet. So I thought, I'm going to just try, try that out. So I did, I did 12 days of 30,000 IU. And then I've been maintaining since then at a dosage of about 15,000 IU. I got tested, I got tested about a month ago. So I've only been doing this for a couple of weeks. I think I'm maybe on week three now, week three or four. So I'll get tested again next month, just kind of see where I'm at. Mm. Um, I felt so great doing this that I'm not looking to go too much higher. I, but in any case, the point is, about a week after taking the the daily thirty thousand, I just all of a sudden just felt great. <laughs> I mean, I felt I felt really great. I was, uh, yeah. The best way I can illustrate that is that as a student, I often fall asleep in class, and this is something that has bugged me for a long time. I'm in, I've been in college now for a long time. I'm in my fourth year of graduate studies, and I still. For many years, I've fallen asleep in class. This is the first time since I've been on vitamin D, the first time in a long time that I'm not regularly falling asleep in class, which is, which is pretty great. Uh, and, and not falling asleep when I'm reading. Um, and I do a lot of reading, so, so that's helpful. So that's, that's the story on vitamin D. Um, the vitamin D is so interesting and it's linked to sleep. When I did the review podcast somewhat about a month ago or something, you know, the overwhelming experience that people have when they start getting their intake up is that they sleep better. And now you're putting more fuel on the, the sleep benefits by saying you're more alert, potentially through better sleep at night, deeper sleep at night, potentially getting more rest. That seems to dovetail nicely. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's in a lot of the studies that I saw too. Um, I would say that I've I've probably noticed a significant increase or significant increase both in the quality and quantity of my sleep. I don't know, you know, maybe maybe on average 10 more minutes, 15 more minutes of sleep a night. And also just one of the other things that I read about vitamin D is that it actually helps with melatonin production. So it sort of helps to regulate the circadian rhythm. And for me that's a big issue because uh, where I work, uh, the kind of ministry that I do with young college students, it's not uncommon for me to be up, say, uh, till 4 a.m. in the morning, um, working with students uh, because some issue came up in the in the middle of the night. So I, I run pretty long days. So I'll I'll get up around mm-hmm. eight, and then I'm working pretty much up through 11 or 12 at night, and then go to bed. Mm-hmm. And then and some of these extra days on the weekends. And so one of the things that I was really concerned about when I started this kind of ministry was how do I regulate my circadian rhythm and how do I make sure that I'm making sure that my sleep is good? Um, so that's a whole nother can of worms <laughs> to get into, but vitamin D has been helpful in that and yeah. has also, has also uh, been how I've noticed the difference in my nose, just in even minimal congestion is even more yeah. minimal, yeah. which is especially relevant right now because of COVID and so on. And just, I've noticed my, it seems to be that my respiratory system, my immune system is just more robust. Hmm. So that's been a great benefit too. And actually my skin has cleared up a bit too, which is, which is kind of cool. So, you know, vitamin D, it's amazing. Yeah. 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 Nice. A comment that someone put under the last vitamin D episode that I did was valuable to me. And I didn't realize this. I can't remember the person's name to thank him, but uh, he said, when you get your vitamin D measured, allow three days since your last dose. Otherwise, the circulating dose that you've taken artificially elevates 
the blood test that you're about to have done. Huh. And and therefore, I would love it if you were to do that because that will give us then your blood levels. And we wouldn't want to have a frightening figure come back uh, with you if, you know, given that you're doing a, a, an interesting experiment on yourself to then make us all alarmed or something unnecessarily. Sure, sure. I will keep that in mind. And yes. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. Keep that in mind. Okay, great. And I love that discussion. Let's move on. And I'm reading off your list here. Uh, sure. So people know I've got your list that you sent me here. Uh, you you talk about vitamin B complex. Tell us about the impact of that. Tell us about what that is, first of all. So first off, vitamin B, uh, there's a specific complex called B100. And what that is, is there's a lot of vitamin Bs. You have vitamin B1, B2, um, B6, B12. B12 gets a lot of attention in the vegan world. And what B100 is, is at least 100 micrograms of each of those B vitamins. Now, so if you look at the back of the bottle, one of the things that you'll notice is that the daily value is ridiculously high for, for a lot of these. So it's at, you know, 50,000% uh, daily intake wow. recommended. It's a really high number. Uh, one thing to know about vitamin B is that the reason doctors tend to not worry about them is that they are water soluble. In particular, when you have enough, um, what is it, vitamin? One of the vitamins makes your urine really yellow. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it's vitamin B6, maybe. And so when you reach the saturation point, you can tell when your urine is is kind of a neon, kind of a neon <laughs> yellow. <laughs> You're glowing. You make yeah, the smoke. Exactly. Glows. Exactly. <laughs> So B100 is uh, this complex of all of these different B vitamins. And uh, according to the work of Dr. Stasha Gamanak, uh, she's the one I've been listening to on this, but she says she's a neurologist and she works with patients, um, particularly with sleep issues. And she also brings in vitamin D, which I'll touch on in a minute. But what she says with respect to the B vitamins is that you want to get all of them in at the same time. So you, so you don't want to do a, it's, it's more helpful to do all of the bees together because they have kind of a, the whole is better than the sum of the parts type phenomenon and they work together somehow. And, uh, she has a particular protocol, which I've been sort of interested in and following myself and also with my sister who has some sleep issues. So, um, definitely, uh, you've got us on the hook here. Very interested. So the way you take it is it via a tablet with a glass of water and you do it at meal times and what experiences of changes in your health have you noticed since you started doing it so the most uh, important change for me other than the change in my urine color <laughs> uh has been that uh it's taken away my fear around getting migraines now, uh, the connection between vitamin B and migraines is that vitamin B, the, the various vitamin Bs are really important for the nervous system. And so many years ago, well, not many years ago, I guess four or five years ago, I used to get migraines where I'd start off with migraine aura. So I'd kind of lose part of my vision and then it would quickly go to my hands, make my hands numb. And I just have a tremendous amount of pain. And this was actually before I had started Patterson program, before I even knew I had uh, arthritis, I'd get these debilitating migraines and thought, gosh, I wonder if I have a tumor or something. You know, I got tested for that. Within my first year of the Patterson program, I discovered that there was some connection between the B vitamins and these migraines. And the way that I discovered that was that if I felt a migraine coming on, I could eat some seaweed and the migraine would subside. Fascinating. So, Fascinating. So, <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. And so the summer that I discovered this, actually, I was very fortunate. I was in Lourdes, France for, the, for two months. Wow. Uh, wonderful experience uh, to be there and to pray with so many people from all over the world. And um, in any case, when I went over to France, I was really worried because I thought, how am I going to eat Patterson program over here? That was Big question for me. The second was, I need to bring some seaweed with me because it's really important. And so 
I walked around Lourdes and I always had some seaweed in my pocket just in case, just in case I felt something coming on. So I'd, so I'd eat my seaweed. And I, I'd done this 40 or 50 times by the point at which I knew, okay, probably a vitamin B issue. Uh, working with a functional medicine doctor helped me identify B2 as probably the primary culprit. But in any case, I've left you with a cliffhanger, which was, how did I eat PP over in, uh, in Lourdes? Uh, the answer to that is that the hotel where I was staying was run by a wonderful couple who had some, some dietary things of their own that they'd healed through a very strict diet, very similar to Patterson program. So I was very blessed over there because she just made me lots of potatoes lots of veggies and I ate a lot of fresh fruit from the from the Pyrenees, you know, region. A wonderful experience. So, okay, so vitamin B, when I do the B100 complex, my nervous system just feels solid and I don't worry about getting migraines and I also don't worry about um how much I'm eating because one of the things that I had been doing was overeating because that also seemed to be related to my migraines. Um, so now I can eat at a more manageable level, which is helpful for inflame, inflammation reasons because digestion is one of the bigger causes of inflammation. And so by making the work easier on my digestive system, I'm also limiting the inflammation related to eating too. So mm. that's one of the other, one of the other things I've noticed. Mm. So how does, sorry, I just didn't make the connection between how the vitamin B complex or seaweed derived, if you if you were getting it that way, uh, helps with the overeating. Is it is it just that it seems to curb your appetite a little more by being adequately vitaminized? Yeah, it the the connection is not it's not exactly a cause and effect, but one of the things that I've noticed is that I had uh, from so many years of getting these migraines or at least feeling the migraine aura. One of the defense mechanisms that I had built in was that I would eat something. And, and this was partially because my father was hypoglycemic. And so anytime he felt his blood sugar going low, he oh, would yeah. eat something. So I had this kind of sense that, okay, if my body feels funny, I need to eat mm. something. Uh, mm. I tested my blood sugar. Um, my blood sugar was, was very good. <laughs> I, that was not the issue. But I still had this built-in response that eating kind of helped. And in fact, it did help because when you eat, very often you're getting your vitamin Bs. And, and most nutritionists will tell you that you should have no pro problem getting vitamin B, the various vitamin Bs from what you're eating. And uh, I'd been eating you know, very strictly a Patterson program for two years and really making an effort to get vitamin B rich things into my diet. So uh, for example, lots of mushrooms, uh, soaked almonds when I could handle them. They're sort of in and out for me. I, um, yeah. And lots of seaweed, lots of dark leafy greens. I eat you know, big, big, big bags of dark leafy greens each day. And what was interesting to me was that even with all of this, I wasn't getting enough in to really have a nice supply in my body. Mm. And so I've speculated, I don't know the answer to this, but I've speculated that it's probably a combination of a few things, maybe an absorption problem, that maybe just I need, I need more than most mm. folks uh, for various mm. reasons. And yeah, so I don't know what the answer is between right. those, but the extra supplementation has been really helpful. So it stopped the migraines and the related hand numbness, and that's been gone for as long as you've been taking it. Yes. Yeah. It hasn't even been a concern. So I used to worry about any kind of fasting or missing a meal because I thought, oh no, that's going to trigger a migraine. Right. And, and now I can eat a lot less or even skip meals, or I have a lot more flexibility when it comes to dealing with, you know, spontaneous situations in life. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm not as tethered to my food. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing, and maybe this is where I can bring in the vitamin D connection too, is that I think it's also contributed to this real uptick in my energy levels. Hmm. So the B vitamins are really important for metabolism purposes, from what I understand. Hmm. And um, with Dr. Gominek, uh, her protocol, what she's learned as, as a neurologist, is that one of the factors with vitamin B production 
is that in the microbiome, there are bacteria that produce their own vitamin Bs. So we hear about, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we hear about this in the vegan world all the time because uh, there's some bacteria that can produce B12, I think. Maybe Uh, I might be wrong. I'm cautious about uh, about anything other than recommending supplementation for B12, but I know that the other B vitamins or B vitamins in general are produced via bacteria. So an improved microbiome tends to be an improved B vitamin portfolio. Yes, and and I just for the record too, I I supplement with B12 too because I figure, <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's it's can't hurt. But but in any case, uh, what she has found is that when you have a lack of vitamin D for a long enough period of time, it changes the microbiome in such a way that it's less able to produce uh, vitamin B. And so she has this protocol where she'll get the vitamin D up to 60 to 80 nanogram per milliliter for three months with alongside supplementing with this B100 complex. And what that has done for her patients who have sleep trouble and not typical sleep apnea trouble, but these are, say, young, trim, thin, athletic women who have trouble sleeping, who have restless leg syndrome, things like that. She has found that the combination of vitamin D and B helps them sleep by fixing some of the nervous issue, nervous system issues. Mm. And what she also says is that after a period of time, after two or three months of the vitamin D supplementation and the vitamin B100, that if you overdo the B100, you can get some kind of uh, pain uh, sensation at the nerve tips, fingertips, your feet, and so mm. on. And so what she typically does is she cuts back on the vitamin B after being at proper levels of D for three months. And she says that if you experience those sensations, if you stop the vitamin B100, you can, uh, you'll notice it within a day or two that the sensations of pain will will stop. So that's her research. And that's kind of what I've been experimenting with. Okay. Interesting. Well, thank you. And I'm glad that it's working for you. Um, let's move to the last of the bullet points here, which is the water kefir. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, we'll talk about that and then, and then how that's helped the psoriasis aspect of your challenges and also whether or not it has helped with the joint aspect. So uh, water kefir is, for those who don't know, water kefir is like dairy kefir. Uh, it's a similar kind of fermented product that is made with these little bacterial grains that sit at the bottom of a jar and they um, ferment. In the case of dairy, they ferment the dairy. In the case of water, they ferment sugar water. So uh, what I do is I have a a glass bell jar. It's actually just on my kitchen counter. (laughs) See this jar here? Um, Mm -hmm. It looks kind of creepy. (laughs) <laughs> kind of got a scoby at the bottom, like if you would in yeah, very similar, very similar. And so what you have at the bottom here is you have these little grains, the white kind of scoby-like type things. And what they do is they they ferment this water, and it has the color that it has because what I put in here every night is um, I put in some white sugar, and I put in some uh, a little bit of molasses. And what that mm-hmm. does is that feeds the bacteria. Again, so anyways, that's the process of this. More, more B vitamins for you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through the molasses, yeah. And so what what that does is it helps grow the, the grains, and yeah. they ferment the water, and so the water is bubbly and it has this nice kind of taste to it. And in any case, I introduced this because it's a fermented product. Um, it's kind of down pretty far on the reintroduction list, and I introduced it when I'd been on Patterson program for about. Uh, about a, eight months, I, I think. Mm. So at that point, I had kind of reached a plateau and I knew that miso really helped me. And so I thought, well, what's another fermented thing that I can mm. do? Mm. And so I thought, well, water kefir is something I can do. And moreover, um, what I do with my water kefir is I actually take this and then I ferment oatmeal with it. So you had your podcast with Dr. Uh, Matthews, Dr. Matthews, yeah. uh, talking about fermented oatmeal, and mm. uh, you you mentioned how oatmeal is so helpful to you. Oatmeal has mm. been very helpful to me. It's one of my best friends. 
Mm. So I ferment my oatmeal with this. And what I noticed in doing that was that that helped me clear up some of my psoriasis within a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's so it really helped me move out of that plateau. Yeah. Now, there might also be a vitamin D connection there because that was coming out of winter. Um, so my vitamin D, I'm sure, was low. Right. But in any case, it was a pretty direct, a pretty direct correlation to the psoriasis mm. going away. Isn't it fascinating? You know, and we're all looking, whilst we have given some attention to supplements, isn't it interesting that a much more sort of multifaceted natural approach is playing a big role here with the kefir, right? It's hard to pinpoint. Oh, it's just not one specific hormone or vitamin that's going on. We're talking about the whole microbiome and fermentation and, and the effects of the fermentation on the body. So, you know, the uptake on that suggestion for our audience will be far less than just increasing vitamin D. And yet both appear to have had significant improvements for you. So it's just interesting how the accessibility of the vitamin D is so much more straightforward. But if people were to go down their fermented kefir approach too, they might experience uh, also great benefits. The reason that I'm a little cautious to lift it up the reintroduction guide, which I know that you just mentioned, is because I've had several people try to do fermented water, water kefir, and have had negative results. And I don't know whether or not that's because of the batch that they created or this way they did it, or it became, you know, uh, imbalanced with other microbes. I don't know, but it makes me reluctant to say, okay, everyone go and do this. It's just because I've had other people say I'd tried it and it didn't work. So what you've done obviously is create the right batch with the right approach and got great results. So that's great. And if other people want to give it a go, fantastic. I just wanted to warn uh, audience that I've had some people not do well on it and had symptom problems with it. Right. And I, I think that probably is because it's, it's sort of a high sugar type thing uh, right. too, which, which depending on, you know, how, how well your microbiome, like where your microbiome is, that can really be a big factor. Mm. That's kind of my own theory. Yeah, no, that's, I think you're spot on. It's like kombucha. I had the fermented uh, expert come on recently to talk about kombucha and sauerkraut. And likewise with kombucha, you know, it feels too good to be true. You know, when you're drinking that, it's like, this tastes like soda. This is brilliant. This is awesome. This is good for me. I can't believe it. Uh, so yeah, in the same way, you know, if you've got, say, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, where the bacteria is higher up the digestive tract than it should be, and maybe this isn't the right approach. But if you haven't got that, maybe it's going to be fantastic. But this is a big one where a big capital T-E-S-T. Give it a yes. shot. See what, see how it goes. So these are great. These are great suggestions. Uh, so to recap, where we what we covered, we talked about the earthing mat. Uh, and the improved sleep that you get from that and a sense of calmness in the body and reduced stress, uh, eccentric exercises for the tendonitis that you are susceptible to with PSA and how that's helped, uh, you know, Achilles elbow areas. We, we gave sprouting a good overview and how uh, <laughs> both of us really are going through a spout, sprouting phase. You at a much more dedicated level than me by doing it at home. Uh, vitamin D, how you were deficient, even when you, you know, eating healthily and living a, a healthy young man's lifestyle, it just emphasizes how humans in general are deficient, you know, in vitamin D. And it's something we need to address. And you've been doing some mega dosing and um, you're going to get tested again soon. Um, but certainly anecdotally, do you think it's been really helpful for both sleep, avoidance of napping? And also just feeling again of well-being, and then the vitamin B one hundred complex, also helping uh, no more migraines, and uh, again a, a feeling that it's helping contributing even more towards sleep, no more overeating, and then the water kefir has really cleared up the skin in addition to everything else that you've done. So, you know, it sounds like you're in really good shape, and I know that you know health is a moving target, 
we can have off days and so on. But how do you feel today with all of these additional things and, and, and an extra couple of years up your sleeve since last time we spoke? The last couple of weeks, I felt awesome. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, just, just great. Uh, high energy. I, I forget you're, you're saying, you know, but high energy uh, feeling as if I got my symptoms under control. But there's always there's always that little bit to remind you that hey you you live with you live with an autoimmune disorder, and it seems to me that I'm always reminded of that either through I have a tiny bit of psoriasis up here, and a couple of weeks ago before I started the vitamin D dosing, I was noticing a little bit of swelling in my knee despite you know despite doing all the exercise all the things that I do, and. But that's gone away since with the vitamin D, but it's always a question there kind of in the back of my mind. Mm. And I don't know if, I don't know if you still do this, if you have this habit, but I always kind of feel my knees and I compare, okay, is this, is there any swelling here? Is there any swelling Mm. in this knee? Does it Mm. feel about the same? Mm. Um, That's still kind of in the back of my mind. Although what I would say now is that aside from just feeling great and feeling high energy and two things. The first is I have a lot of confidence now that I can solve problems as they arise. So, okay, I'm getting a little swelling. Is it something I introduced to my diet? Is it something, am I not getting enough exercise? Last semester, that was a question for me because I had a stressful uh, new job. Is it, uh, now is it vitamin D? Is it vitamin B? You know, these sorts of things, a lot of different tools. And I know I also know that I have the habits in place that I can build a lifestyle that will fix those things. Yes. And that's wonderful too, because this healing process is not, it's not like you just it just goes away. The fact that it stays with you also means that it shapes who you are. Mm-hmm. And the way that you respond to it shapes who you are. And so when you build in these habits to your life it starts to spill over into good habits in other people's lives too. Mm. And uh, that's been a wonderful thing to be able to give back to people to say, mm. uh, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing this thing. This is what I have to do to be at my best. So that in my case, so that I can serve and minister to uh, people at really weird hours at night. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I have all this energy for that because of the way that I take care of myself. And, that opens a lot of doors of conversation and opens a lot of relationships I've found with, with my friends and my family. The final thing that I was going to mention, well, that's, that's, that's good enough for mm, there. I, it's certainly good. Yeah. It's certainly, uh, if that, if that is it alone, then it's certainly adequate, you know, to be able to, as you said, to have the capacity to handle all the other, uh, nice aspects of life of service, both through your faith and what you do through your, you know, future direction, but also with your friendships and with your, you know, family and stuff. Uh, and of course, number one, looking after your own health so that you can have a long, healthy, happy life. Right. Right. And it's a, it's a great gift. And the other thing, well, maybe one other thought is that I also think that it's helped me see this as a gift because I, I don't take many days for granted now and working with with your with the community on your website, I know that I'm very fortunate in that my disease has not progressed to the point where it's where I've had to have uh, joints replaced yet or anything like that. But it's been a real great gift insofar as it helps me not take anything for granted. Um, <laughs> uh, every day that every every day that I get to every day that I get to walk around and and not have any problems with my knee or not have a flare up or just not be fatigued or not have a migraine. That's another great day. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. That's just, that's huge, you know, absolutely huge. So, uh, you know, we, as you say, there's no days that we, we take for granted. We wake up we think, how's the body feel? If we tick in all the boxes, then it's a happy day and we get into it again and we do preventative measures so as to make ourselves have the best chance to wake up with that same set of checklist uh, the next morning in our mind. So uh, thank you for helping us today with uh, these suggestions. Uh, I am going to go and have my lunch and take my vitamin D, which I have not taken for many days. 
uh, you know, you get out of the habit with it. If it's not daily, it, it, it you know, it can slip by the, by the wayside and uh, eat some sprouts and I'm going to the gym later and I'll be doing my eccentric exercises for tendonitis that I get in my elbows. Uh, I've got a whole routine. You know, we did that training uh, on elbow pain that, that I did a few weeks ago for our support members. Uh, I've got my earthing mat upstairs. Like I'm ticking most of your boxes. My vitamin B might need looking at, but uh, I feel like I'm on, I'm on the game uh, path to success with today's episode. So thank you very much. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm very grateful. And, uh, and uh, you know, thanks for your time and, and your information here, Gabe. It's awesome. Thank you very much, Clint. Uh, real pleasure to be with you as always. And uh, thanks, thanks for your inspiration. Thanks for what you do with the community. And uh, it's also wonderful to see your kids running around too. You know, uh, uh, that's that's wonderful. That's, so thanks for sharing sharing all all that with us. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.